we are ending a series called I Am Blessed. It's kind of a big day today because this is the end of an eight-week series that we've been in, and I, I, I want to kind of give you a little background, a little behind-the-scenes background on something that I thought was kind of funny. Maybe you will, too. Uh, when we did the graphic uh, for the, this series, kind of the premise is I am blessed no matter what my circumstances look like. And so we were going through this, and, and we're talking about all the things that Jesus said blessed people are and, and all the attributes of blessed people. And, and that's really the, the preface of the series. I'm blessed despite what my circumstances look like. And so the graphic designer did, you know, the guy pushing the car with smoke coming out of it and, and with the hashtag, you know, I am blessed. And we all kind of get the picture. You know what? He's having a bad time. Things aren't really going well, but he can still say I am blessed. And, and uh, the graphic designer sent me a picture of, of this particular one. It was... He's like, you know what? The, the car's not good enough. I'm going to make him uh, be struck by lightning too. <laughs> and he said, would that be funny? I said, yeah. He said, well, I got to go into a creative meeting in a few minutes, and I think this would be funny to share around with everybody on the creative team kind of as a joke, as if, you know, the car's enough. Well, the creative team loved it. <laughs> they were like, let's leave the lightning bolt in there. So I don't know if, if, if your circumstances kind of resemble what this guy's going through, um, and if, you know, if the car's not enough, if what started out as something bad isn't enough, the lightning bolt kind of says, you know what, that's me. That, if it couldn't get any worse, then it did. Well, that's, that's what this series is about, being able to understand that outside circumstances aren't able to affect what happens on the inside of me. That I can say I'm blessed because being blessed really, when it comes to God and, and, and your spirit nature, being blessed has little to do with your circumstances and everything to do with the right, having the right spirit inside of you. And so that's kind of the, the premise of this series. Today, we're hitting kind of the last few verses of what Jesus says blessed people are. And this is what he says. Let's jump right in. It's in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, blessed are those who are, say the word. No, we're all thinking, like, oh, this is going to be a good one. I can't wait to hear what he's got to say about this. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's saying this. He's saying, blessed are people whose lives are lived in and through God, and, and their lives actually back this up, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When they're persecuted because of that, count yourself blessed. When you live a life that lines up with what God is doing in your life, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Let me, let me ask you this. What does persecution look like for you as a Christian? And, and by the way, if you're not a Christian in the room today, I want to say welcome. I want to say that you're welcome here, and you haven't crossed that line of faith yet. But as a Christian, if you're a Christian in the room or you're listening online and you're a Christian, what does persecution look like for you? What, what does it look like as a Christian when you walk around in life and you are saying that, you know what, I'm going to live a godly life. I am going to make my decisions based on God, based on his word, and not kind of what the cultural slide of the world has told me to do, but I'm going to actually base it on God's word. Do you ever catch flack from that? If we're all honest with ourselves, the answer is yes. And to be honest with you, it's really nothing new. In fact, Paul told a young pastor named Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, he said this. He says, those who decide to please Christ Jesus by living godly lives will suffer at the hands of those who hate him. Now, it's weird because we don't think of it like that. Man, we think whenever we accept Christ, right, we're kind of leaving the bad behind and taking on the good. We think, I'm done with the old life, so certainly now that I'm done with the way, old way of doing things, God is going to honor me in such a way that nothing bad is going to happen to me. 
And I'm sure that the guy pushing the car will say the same thing. I'm sure there have been times in your life where you're like, you know what, God? I gave my life to you. Why am I now enduring this? I gave my life to you. I actually quit doing things. It was hard for me to give up. You can put that, uh, whatever it is, in the blank for you. And, And now it seems as if you would bless me enough to where nothing bad would happen to me or this particular thing. It wouldn't, it wouldn't go that way. But, but Paul told Timothy, and this is what he's telling us today, that you know what? If you decide to please God by living for him, living a godly life for him, you're going to suffer some. So let me just say it like this. If you've committed your life to Jesus, it's not a matter of if you'll suffer. It's a matter of when. It's not a matter of if you'll be persecuted, it's a matter of when. He, what he's saying is, if you maybe you're a Christian teen in the room today, go to school next week and say, I'm a virgin and I'm saving myself for marriage because I feel like that's the God-honoring thing to do. And there may be some that applaud you, some that say, yes, that's a good thing. And guess what? There's going to be other people that make fun. If you go to a New Year's party and you announce, you know what, I'm not going to be drinking tonight, I'm not going to be partaking in some of the drugs that are going around, there's going to be some people that say, yeah, whatever, and there's going to be some people that jeer. There's going to be some people that make fun. There's going to be some people that, that, that are coming down on you because of it. Maybe you're a Christian businessman or a businesswoman, and, and you know what, you go to work and you say, I'm not going to do that deal because it's unethical. It's, it's a godly thing to do. It's a, you know, my life has changed now. I'm going to be making these decisions for God. And you announce, I'm not going to be cutting any corners uh, for, integrity, for integrity's sake because of profit. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to compromise my commitment for truth for the sake of a dollar. There's going to be people that they applaud that. In fact, that's called integrity. And there's going to be people that say, you know what? You're the right man. You're the right woman for this job. But you let a lucrative deal come down the pipe. You let something that, that has a potential to be very profitable come down the pipe, but you're going to have to cut corners when it comes to integrity to be able to do it. Notice how I didn't say you don't have to, notice how I didn't say do something illegal. Sometimes legal and integrity, morality are two completely different things. Tell people you're not, you're not going to do that. Tell people you're going to, you're going to have integrity and, and watch what happens. Watch them Watch them come down on you as you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ. You'll see what Paul's words, what he wrote are true. Those who decide to please Christ Jesus by living godly lives will suffer at the hands of those who hate him. And sometimes it's the people that are closest to you. Sometimes it's the people that you're in relationship with that are the closest to you that ends up persecuting you the worst. How many of you would agree that when you make a commitment for Jesus Christ, there are some people around you that just don't understand it? When you make a commitment to change your life and live for Jesus, there are people in your life, the people that are closest to you, sometimes are the most uncomfortable with your decision. And you don't understand why. In fact, you wonder, why aren't you happy for me? But the reason is because others don't like it that are closest to you because you change for the good. Now, whether they think that's a good thing or a bad thing, whether it doesn't really matter. When you rise, people that are around you are forced to either rise with you or they're forced to stay where they're at. And if they stay where they're at, then very naturally they're going to start comparing themselves to you. And then all of a sudden you start hearing things like this. Well, who do you think you are? Hey, so what? You go to church. You have a holier-than-thou attitude now? Are you too good for your roots? Am I talking to anybody? Oh, so what? Now that you're doing the God thing, I'm a bad person and you're a good person? And then they start to get defended. I'm just as good as you are. Why do you think? And at first they're fine. But is, is, is start, when the circumstances present themselves and you pull away from a certain activity or a certain conversation and they're still doing it, 
they're forced to either rise with you or stay where they're at. And when they stay where they're at, they very naturally start comparing themselves to you. When this happens, it, it freaks you out. It freaks them out. You can't understand why they're not happy for you, and they can't understand why you've become a goody-two-shoes and are condemning. Even though you probably have no con condemnation in your heart, it's not that they have a problem with you. They have a problem with you in light of themselves. And persecution comes. Think of it like this. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. I'm putting my light in you, and now you go out and you light up the world. And he says, when you have a light, when you walk into a room, you don't hold a light and snuff it out. No, you hold a light and you shine it for everybody to see. And he's saying that's what you're supposed to be doing in this world, not walking around scared, but you're actually supposed to walk around shining your light, not being ashamed of the light. Well, light's not a bad thing. Can you ever think of a time where light wouldn't be that great? How about if your spouse or whatever turns the light on, maybe your kid, at three in the morning and says, hey, everybody, and you're going, oh, my God. Gosh, turn off the, you know, and at first you're just kind of defensive about it. You just kind of pull the covers over your head. How many of you have like a real, just like uh, insensitive spouse that wakes up earlier than you? And it's like they're, they're, they're just, it's like the, uh, the tank going through the, the bedroom. You know what I'm talking about? And then they flip lights on and you just, and it's horrible. Light is good except for that, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's like you're, you're doing this thing, and, and at first you're pulling the covers over your head, and then you actually start to react. You actually start to retaliate, and you're like, would you shut off the light, you know? And, and that's kind of what it's like when we have the light of Jesus Christ inside of us, and we go out into the world. At first, people just get defensive about it. Well, who do you think you are? And then all of a sudden, they, they begin to retaliate. They begin to, to counterattack, and you begin to recognize real quick that when you're harassed for your faith, that really what it is, is that people are noticing and seeing the light of Jesus Christ shining in you. And they're drawing comparisons to their life. And they're either forced to rise with you, or they get content and stay where they're at. And they begin to draw comparisons. So as Christians, if God's word says that we are going to go through that. Not if, when. If we're going to go through that, how do we handle it? How do we handle persecution in such a way that we keep the joy inside of us? And maybe sometimes the sanity inside of us. Can we talk about that for a little bit today? I want, I want to give you a few ways. First thing I think is, is really important when we start talking about persecution in this way. You have to recognize the source of persecution. I think that's true with anything, but specifically this, when, when you're actually feeling hurt, when someone's persecuting you, recognize the source. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says this, we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. I'm going to say that again. We are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. I'm going to say it a third time. I want you to say it with me. One, two, three, go. We are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but yet every problem you have, every persecution you face, there's a person on the other side of it. Prove me wrong. <laughs> I mean, everything that we face, every hurt, there, there's a, a person. There's a, a flesh and blood person over there. Maybe it's a spouse that you just think if they would quit doing this, your life would be perfect. It's a kid that if they just quit doing these things and they'd shore up, your, your life would be so much more joyful. It's a boss at work that you think if they would just get off my back, everything would be good. It, it's somebody that's getting on your nerves that won't leave you alone if they just stop. You know, it, it, every trouble you have, it's a, there's a person on the other side of it. And yet Paul tells us very unapologetically, hey, we're not fighting against people. That's not the 
source. And you're like, where is the, where is it? Where does it come from then? Uh, but instead, we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. You know what that means? That means the source of the persecution that's coming into your life is not a person, but it's the enemy of your faith, and his name is Satan. It's interesting that persecution doesn't come from people, but oh boy, does it come through people. But that's not the source. The source is the enemy of your faith. It's Satan, and Satan hates Jesus. So he uses the number one thing that Jesus loves against one another, and that's people. And there are people that don't submit their thinking to the Lord. They don't submit their actions to God. They don't submit their lives to him. And they become prime candidates for Satan to use them as vessels for persecution against someone maybe like you. But it's so easy if we're not careful, especially when our emotions get involved, to look at the person and retaliate against them. To want to get them back. To want to do something to them. In fact, sometimes we get so holy, but yet we're still human. We actually say, you know what? I'm just going to ask somebody else, maybe who's not a Christian, to get back at them. So my name won't be at it. And so I can gossip in such a way where when it all comes down, it's on them and not me. But I can have the satisfaction of knowing that they got theirs. Hey, it happens. And that's the mindset that says the person is my enemy. And that's really not the case. The source of persecution is is Satan. So whenever you recognize the true source of persecution, you begin to gain perspective on how to respond the right way. A few ways. One, refuse to retaliate. Refuse to retaliate. Just say, you know what? I'm not retaliating against you. Romans 12, 17 says this. Never. Say never. never. There, say it again. Never. never. There's never an opportunity that God blesses. Never pay back evil with more evil. Don't do it, but instead, do things in such a way that everyone can see how honorable you are. If Satan is really the one behind the persecution, if he is the enemy of your faith, and he's the one that's attacking you, and then you repay evil for evil, then who really won? You've just fallen into his hands. He already had one person that was kind of doing what he wanted, now he's got two. One of them is supposed to be a Christian. He, he actually just won. You repaid evil for evil. His whole goal is to get you to retaliate. His whole goal is to get you to do things in such a way that you lose sight of what God is trying to do in you. And when we do that, when we retaliate, we actually are giving him the win. It's easy to want to put the person in your crosshairs, but you have to recognize that, you know what, that's not the one that you're ultimately fighting. So you've got to refuse to retaliate. Secondly, if you have to respond, respond positively. Now, how am I supposed to do that? Well, you know what Jesus said? He said this in Matthew 5, 44. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. <laughs> and we're all thinking the same thing. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I mean, is that your first response when somebody does something to you that, hey, I'm actually going to pray for you? When somebody, like, says bad things about you? And you hear about it from somebody else and the whole office or your, so there's several friends that you, they've actually slandered you? Oh, man, we need to stop and pray right now. You know, hopefully that's the response. But you know what? Humanly, you will never think that first. You will always think to retaliate. And I just got to ask you, if that's not your normal response whenever you're insulted or whenever you're treated unfairly or you're passed over for something that should have been yours or you're lied about, is your first response to pray for them? Because if it's not, we got to get there. We got to get there. And, and, and this is what he says do. This is a phrase I want you to remember. Choose your attitude and actions towards others based on who you are in Christ, not on who they are. Because it's easy just to retaliate against what somebody else is doing to you. But if you say, you know what, all of my actions, all of my responses, I'm going to base that on what God is doing in me. That has absolutely nothing to do with what somebody else does or doesn't do. 
And so if I'm going to be somebody who recognizes the source of persecution, if I'm going to be somebody that, that, that cho- chooses not to retaliate and responds positively, then when something happens and my emotions spike, something else has to take over, and that is my spirit. And I am going to choose my attitude and my actions towards that person based on who I am in Christ, not on who they are. And it's amazing what can happen when you do this. There's a pastor in Syria named Farid, and he is constantly getting death threats because of his faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, the death threats come in some pretty interesting ways. Some of those are spray paint on his house, like actually writing sentences out on how they're going to kill him, how they're going to kill his family, how they're going to kill his kids. A lot of death threats he had came from text messages by uh, a man named Rashid, and he terrorized him with these text messages over and over constantly getting text messages, his friend starts telling, telling him, hey, why don't you just trade your phone in? Why don't you get another number? And this is his response. He said, no, I can't do that. Rashid's threats remind me that I need to pray for him because nobody else is going to pray for him. So when I get the text message, I like, oh yeah, I, I reminded that I need to pray for him. He said, so that's what I do. And because of that, he, he's actually gained the courage. It's amazing what happens in, in your spirit when you begin to pray for somebody like that. Because typically what happens when you pray for somebody is specifically pray for God to bless them. Because you think, you know, I'm not going to pray for God to bless. I'm not going to pray for God to do anything in their life. Because what they need is, is, is for God to do something bad in their life, to knock them off their horse so they can see how wrong they are. That's what we think, right? But when you begin to pray for God to bless somebody, God's priority and blessing is not just to, to bless them with material stuff. His main priority is to bless them with the knowledge of how much they need him. And so he begins to pray for this man, and and what it does is it gives him the courage not just to pray for him, but to actually go to his house. And he goes to his house, and the interaction was very intense. And before he left, he said, I have a gift for you. And I don't know if you you know anything about Middle Eastern culture, but whenever you give a gift to somebody in their family, you don't refuse it. And he gave the man a Bible. And Rashid held the Bible with like two fingers as if it were something disgusting and poisonous. But he kept it. And a couple weeks later, Rashid was involved in a bombing in Syria, and he was trapped. And when the Quran didn't give him any hope, he turned to that Bible that he got, and he began to read it until 6 a.m. the very next morning, and in doing so, fell in love with a man named Jesus Christ and realized that God had died for him. And he gave his soul to Jesus. It's amazing that God, you know, his, his, his word can stand on its own and has the power to transform somebody's heart. But God used a man that recognized the source of his persecution, that it wasn't coming from a sheet. It wasn't coming from a person, but it was coming from the enemy of his faith. And by the way, that enemy wanted to take both of them out. Fast forward to today. You know what Rashid is doing? He's writing worship songs for the church in Syria. <laughs> Only God has the power to do that. But that's what gave him the perspective to not just endure the persecution, but to see another person's need for Jesus Christ. Recognize the source. Secondly, say number two, remember your rewards. When you're being persecuted, whenever you're feeling the weight of of being a Christian and, and how this world comes against it, remember your rewards. Jesus promises if you will remain faithful right now when things are difficult, you will not regret it later. Let me ask you a question. Does it help when you're going through something difficult to know that a reward is coming? Yeah. 
I mean, it can come in all forms and fashions. If you're on a diet and you, you want to eat cake so bad you can't stand it and you're really going through that difficult time, and for some of you, you just need to go ahead and shout amen right now because you know where, what that's like. And, 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 but you, you keep going, not because you're going to go without sweets, but because you know there's a reward coming. There's a payoff coming later, and you set your mind on it. And God says this, he says, if you'll stand fast now, if you'll remain faithful now and focus not on what you're going through, but focus on the fact that I have rewards coming for you. Paul, this man in the New Testament, he understood that these words were true. When Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In fact, he believed the, re the rewards were so great and the rewards were so true for him remaining faithful. This is what he told the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Now, this was a man, if I just could list the, the kind of persecution he went through, you'd be amazed at that. Because this was a man that, if I said he got beaten, like that's putting it lightly, wrongfully imprisoned. Stuff talked about him all the time, just trying to discredit him. Caused so much trouble, he'd lay awake at night with anxiety. Beaten several times to a pulp. Stoned one time, they drug him outside the city. They thought he was dead, and he just was passed out. He actually revived, and then went right back to preaching the gospel. And this is a guy that's going, you know what? We consider our trouble small and temporal, not lasting very long. Listen why. Because they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them. And it's going to last forever. It's just amazing. He's like, he's not just saying, you know what, I can do this because it's not that hard. What makes it bearable, what makes it meaningful is the fact that there's rewards coming that Jesus promised. Hey, in another part of the scripture, he says, it's like I'm, I'm like a runner trying to run this race. And maybe if, if you run or you've run track or you run, maybe military guys for P, uh, PT, you can understand that, you know, it's, it's like a runner running towards the prize. He's like, I'm not there yet. But there's this finish line in sight, and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to get there one day. And so right now, I'm not looking behind me, but I'm, I'm pressing on even though it's difficult now because I know that that finish line is coming. He's saying it's, it's not about the difficulty now, but when I understand what Jesus' words are and the rewards that are coming, it changes the way I view the persecution I face now. He said my troubles are small. If you just look at the, the trouble, it's not small. It's huge. We'd be hard-pressed to go through that. But when you compare it to the rewards that's coming, he said, you know what? This is small. This is temporal. It's not going to last very long. And the reward that's coming outweighs what I'm going through right now. When you remember your rewards, man, it makes persecution not just survivable, but it almost creates this, this joy inside of you. And eventually it will. Knowing that something bigger is coming and knowing that the reward is coming, you actually get more stubborn about staying the course. If you've ever run a mile or two miles and, and you're trying to do it for time and you get to that kind of that last lap, man, you're exhausted, you're wore out and you're, 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 your limbs are tingling with the blood. And you're, but you just somehow you find it within yourself knowing that, you know what, I'm almost there. And you begin to push and go. You become more stubborn. You make your body do things that you didn't even know it could do. And when you're persecuted, whenever you're going through hardships because of your faithfulness in Jesus Christ, and you remember the reward, you know that God sees what I'm going through right now. It doesn't get by him. Like he sees it. It's not just difficult. I'm in the eyes of God, and he's keeping track of this stuff. And one day I'm going to see him face to face, and I'm going to be rewarded for what I'm going through. Right now it just puts this stubbornness in you. It puts this, man, if I can just keep going. I'm delighted to, go what I'm go to do what I'm going through because God sees me. 
Back in 2017, there were twin suicide bombs that took place in northern Egypt. Maybe you remember seeing this on the news. Terrorists. 45 people were killed. About 120, 130 people were injured. And during an interview the following year, they were interviewing a Christian leader in Egypt, and they were asking, how are the, how are the Christians coping? And this was his response. There were 2 million more Christians in churches on Easter and Good Friday than the previous year. That's how they responded. They showed up in droves. You'd think they'd be scared. You'd think, you know, we were here last Good Friday and, and bombings happened. I don't know if I'm... No, it, it made them press in even further. And he said, this was the, the message that we wanted to communicate to the terrorists. Kill us all, and that's fine by us, but we're not afraid of you. And I'm like, wow, persecution has the potential in your life to actually make believers more passionate about their faith. Not if they just focus on the persecution, but if they'll remember that, you know what, I know who my real enemy is, and I'm not enduring for nothing. Remembering your rewards. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 29. This is his words. Take it to the bank. Everyone, say everyone, as you. Everyone who's given up, and they need to listen things, houses or brothers or sisters, father, mother, children, or even property, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. Jesus has his eyes on you. And what you're giving up for him, no matter what that looks like in your context, he sees. And there's a reward waiting for you. So remember your rewards. He's not going to let you face what you're facing right now without rewarding you for it. Number three, say number three, when you face persecution, I say this for last, remain faithful. And that's kind of the, the theme with, with these other two points that I made, but I wanted to kind of hone in on this for a minute because I think whenever we're Christians and we're going through persecution, I think a, a, a really kind of a simple way to say it, but one that's really kind of profound is that it's not easy. It's hard. And some of the things that you're going through now, some of you sitting here today and you're dressed up really nice and you've got a pretty smile on and you've got a handsome face on about you and you you're, look like you're ready to take on the world. But some of you are about empty. Some of you are dry because of the persecution you're facing in some form or fashion. You're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to live for God. You're, you're trying to make your decisions in a way that honors God. And it just seems like because you're doing that, life is twisting and turning and dragging you down. And if I'm being honest, some of you, you're, you're questioning your, 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 your decision to follow Christ because you think, you know what, I was better off before I said yes to Jesus. I was better off before I tried to do this for God. And now it seems like that I'm living for God. It seems like it's hard. It's a struggle. And I just want to tell you right now, remain faithful because God sees where you're at and he knows what you're going through. And he will reward you. He doesn't take what you're going through lightly. He knows. He sees it. In the book of Revelation, Jesus actually writes letters to seven different churches. One of them was at Smyrna. And this is what he says in Revelation 2. John actually wrote these words down. He was the author of Revelation. But this is, these are Jesus' words inspired by the Holy Spirit. He writes to this church in the first part of verse 9. He says, I, I know about the suffering and I know about your poverty. He says, I know. And that's what he wants to tell you today. You think you're alone. You think you're doing this for God and he doesn't see it. Jesus looks at you and says, I know. I see it. I've recorded the tears. 
I know the very time frame, even to the very split second that you've been hurting and you've been suffering. I know, I see it. He says, I know about your suffering. I know about your poverty. Listen, but you're rich. He says, I know about the blasphemy of those who are opposing you. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. The devil, he's going to throw some of you into prison to test you. And you're going to suffer for 10 days. Listen, but if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. This was a church that was facing some crazy kind of persecution, having their possessions taking, taken from them. They were impoverishing this church, being falsely accused and put into prison just for saying I'm a Christian, just for trying to live for this man named Jesus Christ. Some of them were even facing death, like actual physical death, dying for their faith in Jesus Christ. And I just want to, just for a second, to look at the contrast of what Jesus says. He's asking them to remain faithful. But look at the contrast of words that he uses. He says, you're, you're impoverished, but you're rich. He says, you're suffering, but I want you to not be afraid. He's saying, some of you are facing actual physical death, but I want you to focus on the life. Now, would that be difficult to, under, to understand and grasp given those set of circumstances? Because you can't see the life yet. You can't see the richness of his reward yet. You can't necessarily just all of a sudden just not be afraid. You start fearful. You start impoverished. You start facing the reality of death. And I'm thinking, man, Jesus says these words. Do we believe him? Do we remain faithful? Do we actually keep going? Because it's hard. It's not easy. What you're going through right now is not easy. And I'm up here as just a human being trying to communicate to you God's word. And right now, it, it seems maybe a little encouraging, but you're going to walk out of here and a lot of you are going to face the same problems. And you're going to try to remember this and you're going to try to apply it, but it's going to be hard. And Jesus says, remain faithful. I think it's interesting if you go back to Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, where we started. And he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for, for living in right standing with me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He actually doesn't stop at that verse. He actually keeps going and kind of harps on it a little bit more. And I think it's interesting because all the other verses in this little section that we read where he says, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are the meek and blessed are these and blessed are that, they're all like one-liners. And we've been covering those each week. They're just kind of one-liner verses. But this is the only one that he actually kind of harps on. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But let me tell you a little bit more. And this is what he says. He, he goes on, verse 11. He says, blessed are you when people insult you, and they persecute you, and they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. Because in the same way, they persecuted the prophets before you. you know, you're not the first ones to be persecuted. You're being persecuted today. You're certainly not the last ones. And we're here today knowing, you know what? Persecution comes in all forms and shapes and sizes, and we're, we're having that today. And it's, it's the last beatitude that he goes through, but he takes more verses to explain it. And I thought this was kind of interesting. Why? Why did he go into more detail on this one when he talks about being persecuted? Is it because it's more important than all the other ones? Is it because it's more important than being poor in spirit or, or more important than some of the other attributes of blessed people? Or is it because maybe the rewards are so deep if we'll really adhere to this. And it's one of the most difficult ones to grasp when we're going through it. And so he says, you know what, I get it, I understand. I'm sitting here saying, bless are you when you're persecuted. And I'm, uh, if, if Jesus is saying, I know what it's like to have your friends leave you. 
I know what it's like for people to slander you and say bad things about you. Heck, I, I know what it's like to actually get physically abused because of claiming to be something. I, I know, I get it. And I feel like there's this heart inside of Jesus that was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking the Father, was there another way to accomplish what he had to accomplish? It's like he, he didn't even want to do it, but he was willing to do it because he was obedient to God, the Father. And he knows what it's like for you today to go through hard times, through difficult times, trying to walk this road of being righteous, trying to walk this road of understanding that I'm God's and I'm going to make decisions for him. And yet I have to go through difficult times in life because of that. Jesus is saying, I get it. And I feel like maybe that he just went on a little bit more when it comes to being persecuted because he wanted you to really understand. He wanted you to really grasp it. He really wanted to leave a dent. I mean, he tells the church at Smyrna, look, I know they're taking your stuff. I know they're impoverishing you, but don't worry because you have heavenly riches awaiting you. Hey, I, I, I know you're suffering, but I don't want you to be afraid. I know some of them are even trying to kill you, but I want you to understand that if you remain faithful, I'm going to give you life in heaven. It's life that you can't even imagine from where you're sitting here. And the rewards that are coming are not even comparable to the pain you're feeling right now. And that's what he's saying to you today. There's a, a story from Francis Chan. He's a pastor in, uh, in America. And he, he actually flew to India where people are being persecuted for their faith. And he wanted to hear their stories. And he was in front of a big group of people, thousands of people. And, and he actually just felt so unworthy to talk to them. And he started going, these are Christians that are actually, they're being persecuted in a way where they're dying for their faith. And he said, I just want to hear your stories. And so a woman comes up, and she's holding a baby, and, and she begins to tell the story about being in her village and accepting Jesus and having a Bible and actually hiding it. And before long, you know, you can't really hide this stuff when you're living in close community like that. And the whole village just kind of comes and surrounds her hut. And the leaders of the village are holding these lizards with their heads cut off, and they're telling her, you got to drink this blood. This is the way you're going to convert back to Hinduism. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. I can't. I can't do that. And they look at her and they say, well, you know what this means. And she just grabbed her Bible and her husband, pregnant, and, and she runs out into the jungle. And she said, I just had to grasp onto my, the Bible. I, I didn't want to let it go. And she's telling the story. And she's like, I left everything behind except for the word of God. I had to have it. And they, they run out into the jungle and they're literally trying to survive. And she has the baby in the jungle. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to feed her and how they're going to feed the baby. And they end up surviving, and they're there, and they're telling the story. And she's like, I, I just counted it a joy, knowing that God saw my suffering, and I was counted worthy to suffer for Christ. It's crazy. And then, then there's this another guy that comes up and says, you know what? I'll never forget the day. It was pouring down rain. And I came in, and I, I told my dad, I'm 11 years old. He says, I'm 11, and I tell my dad that I'm a Christian. And my dad, this is how he responds. He literally takes everything that I own and he threw it outside into the mud and threw me out and told me, don't you ever call me dad again. This family disowns you. You can never come back here. Slams the door. And he said, all this stuff's laying there in the mud. Like, where do you go when you're 11? Like, what do you, where does your thought to even try to survive? What, what do you do? And he looked at all the stuff in the mud. He said, the one thing I grabbed was, was my Bible. I grabbed the word of God. That was the most important thing to me. And he ended up going and he survived. And, and it was an amazing story. And he said later on, long story short, he said, I came back as an, as an adult. I reconciled with my dad. And my dad ended up giving his heart and life to Jesus Christ. And now he is a Christian living for Jesus. 
people that are remembering their rewards, counting themselves blessed to be able to suffer for Jesus. Then he goes to China, Francis Chan, this pastor, he goes to China, and in China, you can't just be a Christian openly and, and express your faith and evangelize. And there's something called the underground church in China. It's this movement of the church, movement of Christians that's sweeping across the nation. But yet they can't do it publicly because it's illegal. And so there's this underground church, and they have this training center for young evangelists, for 18 to 25-year-olds. That's kind of the, the, the range that they're targeting. And what they're doing is they're actually training these people, and then they'll actually go to the Middle East once they get trained on how to evangelize, kind of in secret, and, and become missionaries. And so Francis Chan goes to this, this training center, and he's talking to these young uh, 18 to 25-year-olds, and he's like, you know what, are, are you guys persecuted? I hear you're persecuted. And they, they look at him, and he's like, you know, I want to hear some stories about it. And they look at him like he's nuts, and they're like, like, what do you mean, persecuted? Like, of course we're persecuted. And he was kind of trying to get on the same wavelength, and they were trying to get on the same wavelength, and, and he was like, well, I hear you're persecuted. He's like, why wouldn't we be? We're Christians. This is what being a Christian is. And he's like, well, tell me a story about when you were persecuted. And they were like, you're being way too vague. And he was like, well, tell me the last time you were persecuted. And he said, they said, are, are, like, isn't everyone persecuted? And as a pastor, he was kind of embarrassed. And he was like, well, no, not to that extent. And they were like, but, but Jesus said, if you love me, they're going to hate you because of your love for me and 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 those who want to live a godly life are going to suffer at the hands of those who hate you and they begin to tell him stories this this young woman stands up and she's he said he wasn't you know as skin as, as thick as anything she was real skinny she could hide behind a, a stop sign you know what i mean and, and he said he she she went out with some of her friends in public and, and the government officials they they found them and they surrounded them and they began to, to run and hide, and they were trying to hide, and she was hiding in the, the boards, the plats of this building, and she was so thin, and she was just kind of trying not to breathe, and she was praying, God, please don't let them see me. Please don't let them, like, take my book bag or take anything inside of it. And she could literally see through the, through the floor them walking around trying to find them. And she made it out, and she was like, you know what? I just like, yes, I got to be the one. I'm suffering for Jesus Christ. And this other, this other young guy stands up, and he's like, yeah, so one time me and like 10 of my friends were out, and we were, and we were out, and, and, and the government officials, they found us, and they knew that we were Christians, and they knew what we were doing, and they, they surrounded us, and all of a sudden, we were like, run, and they just all like dispersed, and they said, we, we took off, and then all of a sudden, we started to hear gunshots, and we knew that they were, they were just shooting off in the air, and we remembered our training, never stop running, never stop running. And so we just kept running and we made it out of there. And by the time we all got back together, we were like, man, we, we were, were so blessed to be able to suffer for Jesus. The God of the universe, the one who saved us, like we got to be the ones today that did it. Another guy stands up and he's like, yeah. He's like, I was by myself. And all of a sudden I'm being surrounded. And he said, and just this feeling came over me. This is it. Today's the day. Today's the day that I'm going to be killed for my faith. And he said, I had this overwhelming feeling that I get to be the one today to sacrifice my life for Jesus Christ. He said, I get to be the one. I get to be the one to do that. And, and I look at us today, and there is no comparison because persecution is persecution. Hurt is hurt. Pain is pain. And, and you, what you feel right now as you're walking your Christian walk and the decisions that you make to say yes to Jesus Christ and the pain that comes after that because of life, it hurts. 
And God said we were going to go through that. But my question to you is this, is as you go through that persecution, is your mindset, you know what, this isn't worth it. This is too painful for me. I, I just, poor pitiful me. Or is your thought, you know what, I get to be the one today to suffer for Jesus Christ. I get to be the one today to say yes to him and, and understand that, you know what, the one persecuting me, that's not even what my battle is with. I get to be the one to stand in the face of Satan and say, I'm going to endure. I get to be the one to remember my rewards today. And I get to be the one to stand strong and remain faithful. What is it for you? It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And when that time comes, what's going to be your mindset? I think for a lot of us in the room today, you know, we, we say yes to Jesus Christ and there's this, I'm going to start coming to church. I'm going to change a few behaviors. But when the persecution comes in, when the trials come in, when the hurt comes in, when the pain comes in, our commitment to Jesus Christ goes right out the door. Can I just tell you the soft truth today? God heart, God's heart breaks over that. His heart breaks because he meant for so much more for you, not only in this life, but to shape you in such a way that rewards are waiting for you in heaven. Do you wear his name with honor? Do you wear his name as, as a badge on your chest that says, you know what, I am a Christian, I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm not saying go out there like some extreme crazy person. I'm not saying that. Because the love of Jesus Christ, man, when people see it, when people hear the gen genuineness of it, it's contagious. But are you wearing him as a badge of honor or not? When you walked in the hallway today, you probably noticed that big blinking light on the wall. Uh, I, I'm proud to say that through just this location, that 42 people have said yes to Jesus Christ today, right here, year to date at Goldsboro. I'm excited about that. I know that that's a number, it's 42. It's, it's one of the ways that we measure spiritual health around here. How many people are actually saying yes to Jesus and experiencing life change? 42. And you know what? I think the number is a lot bigger. I hope it is. Not just who checks a card here, but whose lives are actually changed because they see you and the influence that you have in their lives out there. And below that 42 salvation number, you see the number of people that have been baptized here and there's the number eight. And I'm telling you, I am so excited when we do baptisms. And for those eight people, man, man, we celebrated them. And if you were here for any of that, man, you, you know what a big celebration baptisms are. And I just want to lovingly tell you as your pastor, 42 people have said yes to Jesus Christ. Eight have been baptized. I want to see those numbers begin to look like one another. People that say yes to Jesus Christ, but I'm going to continue and walk my faith. I'm going to continue walking. And I'm going to publicly profess through baptism, through what Jesus commanded us to do, what God is doing in me on the inside. I'm not satisfied with just checking a card or making a few behavior modifications, but I'm going to walk in this life and publicly profess as a badge of honor what God is doing in my life, and I'm going to make him Lord. And I just want to encourage you, if you've said yes to Jesus Christ and you haven't been baptized, that's your next step. That's one of the biggest ways, at least to start with, that you can wear his name with pride and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ and I am not ashamed of what he's done in my life and I will publicly profess the salvation that has happened on the inside of me. And so as your pastor, lovingly, let's make those numbers begin to match with each other. Now, whether you're baptized here or whether you're baptized somewhere else or in a lake or the YMCA, I don't care. Publicly profess it. If it's just with your family, publicly profess it. Make a public declaration, obeying God's word, 
of what he has done on the inside of you. Amen. I want to pray for you today because I, I know a lot of you are facing persecution in some very difficult ways. So maybe you're, you're not, you don't have a gun pointed to your head or government officials hunting you down. Maybe you don't have that. But you know the things that you're facing in life right now because of the decision you've made for Jesus Christ and the way life is twisting a little bit, maybe a lot, because you're dedicated to making decisions for him. And I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for encouragement. I want to pray for peace. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit remind you of the reward that you have in store for you to keep going. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you are, you are bigger than just a card. You're bigger than just checking a box. You're, you're bigger than just a song. You're the God of the universe who loves us and saw fit to come and die for us. And when we say yes to you and accept you as our Lord and give you the authority in our lives, you don't look away. You notice what we go through. You give us the strength to endure. Somehow you end up shaping us in the process to become better than we were before. God, but you promised rewards for us when this life is over. And the, the bottom line is we can't even begin to describe or even think or even imagine what that looks like. But today we have faith in you. And so, God, I pray for every person who's going through a difficult time and hardship because of the, the life that they've chosen to live in you. I pray that you'd give them encouragement and peace. I pray that you'd remind them of these words, that you know what? In this life, we will have trouble, but your word says that we could take heart because you would overcome the world, that there is a day coming when there will be no more pain, there will be no more tears, but we'll be with you forever and ever in heaven and in, in, uh, in perfection. I pray that in the name of Jesus. I pray for those in the room or those listening online that they've yet to make you Lord of their lives. We were talked about all kinds of things today. Being free in Jesus. Understanding that our hardships are not done in vain. But maybe the first step for you today is to say yes to Jesus and accept him as Lord. To give him the authority of your life. If that's you, I just want to invite you to do that right now. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. Would you pray it? Because God hears your heart. God, I need you. I need you. I need you for more ways than I can even imagine. But I give you the authority of my life today. Not that it's going to be easy, but that it's going to be worth it. And I ask you right now just to come into my heart. I believe that you died for me, really died. And I believe that you really rose from the grave alive. And it's the reason why I can have life today and know that I have a life coming after this one's over. I accept you. I give you the authority in my life. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be while I'm here on earth. But I trust the fact that you're going to get me exactly where I need to be, exactly when I need to get there. I, I commit myself to living by your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Can we say amen together? Amen. I'm going to let you go. If you prayed that prayer today, I want to do one thing first. I want to challenge you. Don't let your starting line today be your finish line. There's a, there's a connect card in front of you. We want, we want to know about it. We want to know if you said yes to Jesus Christ. Would you take a second and just check the box that says, I prayed to receive Christ? We want to know about it. We, we don't want you to walk out of here alone, but we want to be praying for you. We want to celebrate with you. And to be completely honest, we want to follow up with you. We want to give you a few next steps that you can take to make the most out of your spiritual journey. Would you do that? If you're here today and you have a prayer request, I know sermons like this, it's like, you know what? I need you to pray for me. I don't know if I can do it. Well, I want, first of all, I want you to know you can. 
but I want you to know you have a family that's going to be backing you in prayer. You can let us know on, a, on your Connect card. There's a place that says prayer request. Write down your prayer request. You can drop off your Connect cards as you walk out the door with the ushers. If you're here for the very first time today, thank you so much for coming today. I'm blessed that you're able to be here. Uh, you have a very special place, not when you walk out to drop your Connect card there, but at our uh, VIP desk out there. We have a gift we want to put in your hands for just our way of saying thank you for coming. So make your way out there. Guys, I love you. I appreciate you. I'll see you next week. We're actually going to be starting our Faves series. And this is interesting. It's a tour of all the pastors preaching their favorite sermons. I'm going to start here next week, and then I'll be going out to the other locations. And each week, there'll be a different pastor in here from the other locations. You're really going to enjoy it. Uh, I think it's interesting that the, the video announcement said that it won't necessarily be the best sermon you've ever heard, but it'll be our favorite. So hopefully, as a matter of fact, I know that you're going to be blessed by what myself and what some of the other guys have to say. Be blessed. Have a great week. I'll see you next week.